Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. I, as always, am your decoder. Welcome, welcome. Thank you to Katie who wrote the script. The Curse of King Tut's Tomb. Is it real? Uh, of course it's not real. King Tut's... Tutankhamun? Tutankhamun? That's right, right? When I was a kid, I thought it was Tutankhamun. <laughs> Tutankhamun. I'm getting that wrong. I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> That's the sort of work that I do here. Lazy work. Uh, is it real? No, it's not. King Tutankhamun, not a real person. Never existed. No, he did. He did exist. Why he's not real are curses. Anyway, let's just jump in. Uh, the format of the show, if you're new here, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. Is uh, Katie writes me the script. I've never read it before. And uh, yeah, now I'm going to read it. And we're going to explore this together. And we're all going to find out that this isn't real because curses aren't real. Let's go. Death will come on swift wings to him who disturbs the peace of the king. Ooh, spooky. If you found this warning carved onto a tablet in a tomb you'd just broken into, which housed the earthly remnants of, an e of a king of Egypt, would you venture on and desecrate his final resting place, bursting his sarcophagus open and poking around in his skeletal remains and then hauling his possessions out for people of the world to gore pat? Uh, you asked that. I, I feel, Katie, there you're asking like it's a rhetorical question. Like, would you do that? And my answer would be like, yes. It's my job. If I was the dude in there, like the, what was his name? Howard something? Carter? Howard Carter? Howard Johnson? Something like this? The dude who financed this? Or the dude who discovered it? Something, what was his name? It's gonna come later. Howard Carter! I can't believe I remember that. Who the fuck's Howard Johnson? <laughs> anyway. Uh, if the, the answer would be yes, because one, I don't believe in curses, and two, I've been paid by some dude to go and find all this shit, so you're goddamn right I'm gonna go in there and see what it's about. Or would you think, hmm, I'm standing in the middle of someone's grave, I feel a bit bad about that, and this warning just emphasizes the fact that I really should just make myself scarce and repair all the damage I've done to the king's tomb as I go. <laughs> Please. No. Also, I feel like, yes, that would be true if the person had died recently, but this is like back in the day. There's a there's a period of time, let's say it's thousands of years, after which point it doesn't become a grave, it becomes a site of historical interest. I mean, if Howard Carter had heeded the ominous words, the modern world wouldn't have been exposed to the marvels of ancient Egypt's burial traditions, but maybe if he had, many lives could have been saved. Today we're investigating the curse of the pharaohs and Tutankhamun in particular, and yes, this has probably been covered on Simon's other channels before, but hey, it was on the list, so I guess it's my turn. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've covered this somewhere else, and the thing is, like, I don't know, we're decoding the unknown, it's like, well, I get to add my own two cents, don't I? We get to have a little bit of a discussion, it's a bit more fun, it's laid back, it's relaxed, and uh, Honestly, it's it, it's in more depth because this script is 20 pages. <laughs> the curse of the pharaoh. So settle in, okay? Settle in. Smash that like button while you're settling in. And uh, look, if you're listening to this as a podcast, why not leave it a review? Yes, that's right. This goes out as a podcast as well. You're welcome, world. And bank accounts. The curse of the pharaohs. I mean my bank accounts because if I put it out as a podcast, I get to do more ads. So I make more money, which is nice. You know, just... Just thanks, Simon. Thanks for that insight. <laughs> really what we're here for, Simon. We love curses over here at Decoding the Unknown. Recently, I did a piece on the Hope Diamond, a famously cursed gem. But that was a tangible item passed from one owner to the other, leaving a trail of bad luck in its wake. <laughs> Except it didn't. Because as we discussed, we decoded it. It's not real, Katie. 
This is something a bit different. Here we have a group of usually Western explorers or archaeologists, or whatever, that flagrantly ignore warnings and the obvious bad karma that comes from breaking into deceased people's tombs and unleashing some deadly form of retribution from the spiritual guardians of said place. As ancient Egypt was a mysterious era packed with beliefs and rituals that we still don't necessarily understand. Just because we don't understand them doesn't make them real. Achieving a good status and immortality in the afterlife was the main aim of pharaohs and wealthy people, so this became an elaborate process of preserving the body via mummification, being buried with spells and funerary texts on your way, and also being buried with certain items you thought to be useful in the afterlife. Weren't they buried with like shitloads of gold and stuff? Can you imagine being a rich person, a rich person's kid, and you're just like hanging out, and you're like, yeah, yeah, when you die, I'm gonna get all your shit, and it's like, actually, I'm gonna be buried with it in a big pyramid. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, really? Nothing? It's like, oh, you'll get something, just markedly less than you would otherwise, because I need it in the afterlife, like a greedy dead fuck. I'm not sure how this was supposed to work. Would these be ghost versions of the things buried? It'd be pretty annoying to be buried with all the stuff you think you'd need and then not be able to use any of it because, you know, you're a ghost. <laughs> it also is just common courtesy not to break into tombs for any reason, so anyone doing it probably had a creeping feeling at the base of their skulls that maybe they shouldn't really be doing this. I think it's fine. It's like, yo, lots of time has passed, and now we're interested in what was inside so we can learn about history. That's okay. Time has passed. At some point, it's like it goes from grave to being historically interesting it's fine ancient is <laughs> what's not fine is that they collected all the shit and put it in the british museum <laughs> there's like i remember going as a kid and being like wow there's this ancient egyptian exhibition and there's all these mummies in there never fucking crossed my mind for a moment why they were there i was just like cool mummies Ancient Egyptian mummies as supernatural or horror figures and their associated curses made their way into the world of entertainment in the 19th century through various works of literature, including 1827's The Mummy, a tale of the 22nd century published anonymously by Jane Webb and Louisa May Arcot's 1869 short story Lost in a Pyramid or The Mummy's Curse. Wait, what? How could it be published anonymously by Jane Webb and Louisa May Alcott? And then is this second thing written by them, or is that first one just published anonymously? I'm so confused. Look, there's these stories, and they happened. They were, they were written down about curses in life in the 22nd century, which I bet was bang on accurate. In fact, there's even a reference all the way back in 1699. Whether it was a true tale or written as a work of fiction is not clear, but Lewis Penneker wrote of a Polish man who was traveling on a boat with two mummies that he'd taken from Alexandria. Presumably this means he stole them, but I haven't read the account, so I don't have any real idea. Anyway, the seas get increasingly rough, and the man starts having nightmares and visions featuring the specters of the two mummies. In the end, he throws both of them overboard, and the storm miraculously stops. Poor mummies. What an unceremonious end. Well, they had plenty of ceremony becoming mummies, right? They had a good run. And this this feels believable. It's like he's on a boat, there's rough seas, he has dreams about these dead people that he's got in his boat with him. No surprises there. He throws them overboard. Fine. The storm stops. Also fine. Is it related to the mummies being thrown in the ocean? No. In the 20th century, films like 1932's The Mummy and 1942's The Mummy's Tomb brought the idea of scary reanimated mummies and Egyptian curses to the mainstream. There was even a short film made in 1912 called The Vengeance of Egypt about a ring stolen from a mummy's tomb that cursed whoever was in possession of it until it was returned to its rightful owner. In more recent times, curses are so that sounds like the plot of the- I don't know what the plot of Lord of the Rings is, but I know there's a ring and they're returning it somewhere. Or they're throwing it in a mountain or some shit like that. In more recent times, curses associated with defiling ancient burial sites are still going strong with the Hollywood Mummy franchise spawning various offshoots and even its own ride at Universal Studios Hollywood. I remember seeing The Mummy. I saw it with school. Like Every year there would be a school trip where we'd go for like a week on some adventure or something with school. And for some reason we ended up watching The Mummy. 
in the cinema and i think it was rated 12 and i'd just turned 12 or 13 or something so we were to school we were just about allowed to see it which was very exciting I went there with my family earlier this year, but the butterbeer wasn't sitting too well, so I shoved my unwitting husband and two children on the Revenge of the Mummy ride, having been the only person to have read the description about it. Ominously, the description on the app I was using said, Plunge high speed into total darkness. Uh, no thank you, I thought. I love that shit. I love- I've talked about it before. Have I talked about it on this channel? I love theme parks. Like, I love high-speed rides and being whisked around. And I went to one last weekend, and mostly for the kids, they, like, had this, like, jumping, you know. My- my daughter's playing on this trampoline. She loves trampolines. And then they have these trampolines where you, like, wear a harness so you can jump super high, and she's on this harness- on this trampoline screaming, This is the best trampoline in the whole wide world, Dad! It's the best in the whole wide world! I never want to leave, Dad! And I'm like, well, it's like, it's what? It was like five, five dollars for like five minutes. So I'm like, well, you're gonna have to leave bloody soon. <laughs> and then I went on this, um, there was a ride for adults, which was one of those ones where it's like, it spins you round. Well done, Simon. Very descriptive. It's like, there's, there's a pivot in the middle and then there's a big thing sticking out from each side with capsules and then it spins around in the air. It was great. I had a great time and I'd like to go back. <laughs> From the Discover Universal blog page, the ride description is as follows. The ride experience begins as a dark ride with light effects and advanced animatronics. It then becomes a high-speed indoor roller coaster in the dark with fog and strobe effects, joining jolting twists and turns, no full inversions, sudden stops, and a lot of time traveling backwards. I get travel sick easily, so the ride was never going to be in my top ten. Everyone survived, with my kids having found it so scary, they definitely had no interest in watching the Brendan Fraser Mummy movie, which was quite disappointing as it's one of my faves. I'll work on them. A few months on from our visit though they've put the ride at the top of their list for going on again if we ever make it back to universal but i think i'll just wait outside <laughs> it's a nice family dungeon thank you anyway the point i'm trying to make is that these days mummies pharaohs tombs and curses are all pretty intrinsically linked we know that if you accidentally lean against a curse certain carving or hand your bang on a handy lever sharp spikes will spring out and impale you or millions of beetles will rush out and eat you alive yeah those scarab beetles that scared the shit out of me when i was a kid those like beetles that go under your skin and eat you from the inside really fast scary shit right there we know that reading a text out loud inside a tomb will 100% activate a curse but we also know that curses are unreal right so how did this idea even start as we've mentioned curses and mummies have been going hand in hand in the realm of literature and film since at least the early 19th century going back a bit further the discovery of the rosetta stone in 1799 was what kick-started the new wave of interest in all things egyptian and once the hieroglyphs were cracked in 1822 modern egyptology got going with full force now people could actually read what was written in the tombs and sure enough they found warnings aplenty zahi hawas an egyptologist who is actually from egypt wow <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said that. It's it, I don't, it's not surprising. It's not unsurprising. It's just where he's from, and has also been the Egyptian Minister of State Affairs for Antiquities. Not once, but twice. Once excavated a site at Kom Abu below and found the following quote. All people who enter this tomb, who will make evil against this tomb and destroy it, may the crocodile be against them in water, and snakes against them on land. May the hippopotamus be against them in water, the scorpion on land. Okay, this guy's never heard of England, has he? <laughs> like, the, Egypt, the, the, the guys who are like plundering the tombs are like, oh, good news, good thing I'm just going back to England, right? Where we have none of that shit. A bit more on him later. 
Most curses and warnings on tombs seem to follow a specific formula, with a few choices of actions people might take and what will happen to them if they do. These could be mixed and matched to create the best impact, such as, quote, anyone who will enter this tomb in impurity in impurity i will wring his neck like a goose and cause those who live upon earth to fear the spirits who are in the west or anyone who will remove uh, any stone or brick from this my tomb i will exterminate his survivors <laughs> oh no it sounds so real i'll just be like yeah shut the fuck up i'm gonna go steal your gold bitch <laughs> i'm gonna plunder the shit out of your tomb I'd see it as a challenge. I'd be like, that's such nonsense that I'm going to plunder extra hard, motherfucker. Another curse on the tomb has been translated as, As for the one who will obliterate this decree, the power of the goddess Nate will come into being against him forever and ever. His son shall not be caused to remain on his place, and a donkey will copulate with him, a female donkey, with his wife and his children, and he will fall to the flame from the mouth of Sekhmet. Zoiks. <laughs> I'm trying to work out how a female donkey would copulate with a woman, and I'm coming, I'm sure, but better move on. Yeah, I just assumed that was the wrong way around, but it's like, nope. <laughs> the wife copulates did they just make a typo on the curse the curse of king tut king toot tooting toot king tut or oh, whatever we've now come to the main point of this episode which is about the most famous curse of all that of the boy king tutankhamun discovered in 1922 by a group led by egyptologist howard carter which somehow i remembered king tut's magnificent burial chamber was the most intact one ever found many other tombs have been raided by thieves on various different occasions over the centuries the entrance to king tut's tomb was kind of hidden away so it mostly escaped the attention of grave robbers thus far when carter and his patron lord carnival entered the tomb they introduced a literal treasure trove of ancient egyptian goodies to the general public over 5,000 artifacts not including the actual coffin containing the remains of tutankhamun himself another misconception i had about ancient egypt which i think i brought up recently on the show or maybe it's another show was i thought this you know how he's got that pimp golden mask right the beautiful one with the blue and the gold i got that confused with the sphinx and thought for some reason as a kid that the sphinx was that and it was this giant gold thing i was like oh my god how did they get so much gold and then i was really disappointed to find out it was just some small mask and the Sphinx was just a big rock with its nose broken off. You will definitely be familiar with King Tut's golden death mask, and if not, there's a side projects video dedicated to it, so there's no excuse not to brush up on your Tut lore. There were also sandals made of gold, a one-meter-high wooden throne covered in gold, silver and semi-precious stones, elaborate paintings and murals of the ancient Egyptian gods, and lots of little knickknacks like ivory cups, cosmetic jars, and even some board games when he had some downtime in the afterlife. But of course, the main point of interest was the coffin containing Tutankhamun or rather the coffins inside a quartzite sarcophagus with a granite lid he was buried in three nested sarcophagi like a little russian doll with the outer coffins being made of a gilded wood set with semi-precious stones and the innermost coffin being made of solid gold holy shit dude that's a lot of gold all the coffins show an image of king tut with his famous long fake beards holding a crook and flail crossed over his chest there were prominent symbols representing kingship and fertility of the land the remains of the king were found wrapped neatly in linen wearing the famous golden death mask and covered in unguents or ointment like oils which seemed to have had some sort of chemical reaction over time damaging the linens and basically sticking tut firmly in place the initial examinations of the mummy were carried out with him still stuck in the golden coffin and it wasn't until the mid 2000s that the mummy was removed and put on general display back in his tomb in a climate controlled glass box like an ancient egyptian disney princess <laughs> oh it's so weird so what's this curse all about then well 
in just a few short years, from finding and opening the tomb, at least nine people had either died or suffered from misfortunes in some way related to the expedition. When the tomb was initially discovered, the media, and therefore the public, was all over it, creating something literally called Tutmania. As people associated with Carter and the discovery started dropping like flies, so it's no wonder that the word of a curse swiftly traveled across the globe. It's quite understandable that a group of interlopers disturbing a tomb that's remained untouched for thousands of years and looting it all in the name of research might be the recipient of an ancient curse. So let's see who was involved and what happened to them. There were about 26 people in the original team that entered the tomb, and according to some reports I've seen, up to 11 of them have died within a few years of disturbing the boy king. So let's take a look at some of their stories. <laughs> let me guess. Let me guess. They're all readily explainable. And the ones that aren't, I'm already chalking up to coincidence. The Victims the most well-known name associated with the curse of King Tut is Lord Carnarvon. His full name was George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert, and he, <laughs> he has so many names, no wonder he was Lord. And he was Lord Porchester growing up and inherited the role of 5th Earl of Carnarvon in 1890, so that's who he was at the time of discovering the tomb. He'd been a keen Egyptologist himself and had worked with Howard Carter since the early 1900s, but due to a lack of results, his funding of the 1922 dig was going to be the last one. Luckily, or maybe unluckily, Carter sent him a telegram in November 1922 saying they'd found the tomb. Carnarvon and his daughter, Evelyn, hot-footed it out to Luxor, and Carnarvon was standing right by Carter when he finally chipped through to peek inside the previously undisturbed tomb, although they were supposed to wait for Egyptian officials before they could do any more. It's rumored that Carnarvon, Evelyn, and Carter snuck into the burial chamber through a hole when they weren't supposed to. Maybe this extra transgression was what did it for Carnarvon as a few months later he died of blood poisoning in Cairo. Rumor has it that at the moment of his death, all the lights in the city flickered out and his dog Sussy back in England let out a howl and dropped dead. Oh my god, this all sounds just so real, doesn't it? <laughs> Novelist Marie Corelli had apparently warned Lord Carnarvon about opening ancient tombs as there might be traps or poison in them, and she wrote a letter that was published in a magazine called New York World two weeks before he died with a quote from a book saying, The most dire punishment follows any rash intruder into a sealed tomb. When he died shortly after, this naturally bolstered the profile of the curse, especially when Sir Arthur Conan Doyle decided to add his two cents and told the American paper that priests had summoned an evil elemental to protect Tut's tomb and that there were malevolent spirits and that these may have been responsible for Carnarvon's death. Q. Curse Mania. <laughs> he just died from blood poisoning. And maybe he was poisoned. Even, I don't think he was. But like, maybe he breathed. He was like, ooh, chipped inside. And he breathes in some sort of deadly poison that somehow survived thousands of years. I mean, it's not what happened. But it's not a curse. Either way. Next on our list of victims is Richard Bethel, who was apparently one of the first people to enter the tomb after Howard Carter. He was Carter's personal secretary and on his return to London was found murdered in an exclusive gentleman's club. He was also allegedly storing some artifacts from the tomb at his house, although I don't know whether this was official or under the table, but anyway, there had been several fires that had broken out at his home. Was this the enraged spirit of the dead king trying to reclaim his rightful property? Bethel's father also died three months after his son jumping out of a seventh floor window <laughs> it's the curse it's not the how 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 far away from these people do we need to get before we're like okay it's not the curse it's just a death it's just his dad it's some dude who went there's dad it's just a coincidence Another member of Carter's team who was there when the tomb was opened was James Henry Breasted. 
nice name. This is more of a warning omen than anything else. But after the tomb was opened, he went back to his rooms and found his pet canary had been eaten by a cobra that was sitting smug in the cage. You may recall seeing the symbol of a cobra on many ancient Egyptian things, such as headpieces and jewelry. And there's one on Tutankhamun's death mask itself. It symbolizes protection, guides the spirits of the pharaohs through the afterlife, and is strongly connected with the sun god and royalty in general. So, to see one having eaten your poor defenseless pet right after you've disturbed a king of Egypt was probably pretty jarring. While Breasted didn't drop dead then and there, when he did die, it was a bacterial infection contracted from his last visit to Egypt. Arthur Cruttenden Mace was an Egyptologist and archaeologist who started working with Carter in 1922 to help clear out King Tut's tomb. He developed pleurisy and pneumonia and had to leave in 1924 after working for two seasons in Egypt. His health continued to decline and he died in a nursing home a couple of years later at the age of 53. Next up is George J. Gould, an extremely wealthy American railroad executive. He visited the tomb of King Tut in 1923 and almost immediately came down with a serious fever, leading him to eventually die of pneumonia. Okay, so now we're just, he's just a dude who visited? <laughs> okay, look, people are gonna die. It happens. It's the, like, it's what happens in life. It's the ultimate conclusion. So, it's not really surprising that, you know, there's a large group of people here. Some of them are gonna die. It seems that the curse touched people at every stage of the excavation and study of the body of King Tut. Sir Archibald Douglas did one of the first x-rays of the body of the mummified pharaoh in early 1924. He fell ill almost immediately and was dead three days later. Okay, so now we're talking about the dude who's later on x-raying him? It's like, come on now. Hugh Evelyn White was an archaeologist working with Howard Carter when they were looking for Tut's tomb in 1922, so he may have been one of the first people to cross the threshold into the previously undisturbed resting place. After seeing other members of Carter's team falling victim to the curse, he took his own life by hanging in 1924, allegedly writing, I have succumbed to a curse in his own blood as a parting note. No, you haven't. You hung, you, you hung yourself. You didn't succumb to a curse. You did this to you. How about taking some responsibility? Now let's move on to slightly more tangible victims of the curse, and here, Carnarvon and his relatives and associates seem to have been disproportionately affected. A few months after Lord Carnarvon died, his half-brother, Aubrey Herbert, followed him as a result of a drastic and ultimately unsuccessful attempt to regain his eyesight. He had been born with an eye condition, but his teeth were also in bad state, and doctors advised that he should have them all pulled out, and that might somehow restore some of his vision. <laughs> this was only a hundred years ago. <laughs> Ah, what people are just like, yeah, pull out the teeth and it'll fix blindness. Okay! He had them pulled, got an infection, and died. Carnarvon had another half-brother, Mervyn Herbert, who also died a few years later from malarial pneumonia. This is just the past. People died all the time. You get a tooth pulled out and you die of infection. It's crazy. While they're hoping it'll cure your blindness. Like, what the fuck, the past? Carnivan had a friend called Dr. Aaron Ember, which is a pretty sad surname. When you find out what happened to him, oh no, is he going to burn to death? In 1926, while working on a book about Egypt, Ember and his wife had a party. Shortly after which, the house caught fire. Ember's wife told him to save his manuscript while she got their son. Unfortunately, his wife and son died in the flames. And while Ember managed to escape, he later died in hospital of his burns. His, the book he was working on was called The Egyptian Book of the Dead. Do, 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 do. <laughs> It's so silly. Another notable recipient of the curse is Sir Bruce Ingham. Why not a member of Carter's group? He was a friend, and Carter sent him a paperweight with a mummified hand inside it. That's pretty sick. I'd have that. I'd have that for sure. I don't have any use for a paperweight. Because what are paperweights used for? Even when we had paper, like, I don't really have much paper nowadays. Certainly none that needs weighing down, because I don't work outside. Or is it just gusty inside? <laughs> 
There was apparently a bracelet on the hands with the inscription, Cursed be he who moves my body. To him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. I don't know whether this was taken from the tomb of King Tardar, though it was just a tourist souvenir, but shortly after receiving the gift, Ingram's house burned down. Guess what happened when he tried to rebuild it? It flooded. Instead of waiting for a plague of locusts to eat his next house, Ingram prudently got rid of the paperweight. <laughs> so I thought it was going to end. Ingram decided to become a renter. Other names linked with the curse of the pharaohs or the curse of King Tut include Prince Ali Kamor Fame Bey of Egypt, who was shot in 1923, and Sir Lee Stagg, the governor general of Sudan, who was assassinated in 1924. I'm not sure they visited this site. I think they were just big names who died in Egypt around the same time the Tutmania was happening, so just got caught up in it too. <laughs> it's like the guy's just the governor of another country, and they're like, it's the curse. It's like he's never even heard of this. So let's have a little decode of the curse now and see if we can make any sense of it. And if there might be any real explanations after all. <laughs> Gonna guess there are. Decoding the curse. Might there be a rational explanation for people becoming ill and or dropping dead surely after entering a chamber that had previously been sealed for literally thousands of years? Well, yes, there might be. Quite a few of the supposed curse victims seemed to die of infections that developed into pneumonia or the like. Is it possible there was a sort of unintentional booby trap in the tomb after all? According to Dr. Caroline Stenger-Philippe, who wrote a doctoral thesis on the subject, all the food offerings of fruit and vegetables left in the tomb decayed over the decades, becoming mold and then eventually just microscopic dust. When the tomb was breached, the first group bin would have been exposed the mold and according to an article on apnews.com would quote have contracted allergic alveolitis a severe inflammation of the tiny air chambers in the lungs and died of pulmonary insufficiency that's why i said like they crack it open and maybe they got some disease i told you the dust would have dissipated over time but could have stayed around for up to two years, perhaps accounting for some of the deaths that we mentioned earlier. While this theory is plausible, allergy specialist Dr. Arthur Meyer makes a good point that it's impossible to recreate these conditions definitively to test the theory, and therefore those who want to believe in the curse of King Tut may go on believing. So fair enough. Other similar theories include viruses and radioactive or other types of poisonous materials being deliberately placed in the tomb to kill anyone who entered it, but Stenger Philippe argues that it would have been quite easy to tell if that was what happened, and also many more people would have died if that was the case. Yeah, it wouldn't have just been a select few. And honestly, I don't think it's the microbes anyway, I just think it's all coincidence. They just got infections because it was the past and infections were like really bad. And I know infections are bad today, but not as bad because we have like magical drugs which get rid of most of them. It's like, oh, you got an infection? Take these pills. <laughs> and it goes away almost immediately. It's crazy. And in the past, it was like, I got an infection. Better get your affairs in order. <laughs> So let's go back to the curse victims, shall we? I'm sure you've noticed many of them had nothing to do with the tomb, or they died quite a long time after. Well, yes, that's about it, really. You'd expect a good curse to act quickly, not drag on for an indeterminate amount of years. Yet while also, while we told the sometimes mysterious and gory versions of their story, some of it can't be substantiated. Shocking, we know. I'm sure you're very alarmed and surprised by that fact. I came across various different numbers for how many people of the original group died, and also might have tweaked the wording to make things seem nearer to the opening of the tomb than they really had been. Also, when you're looking stuff up like this, all the sensationalist stuff is at the top, so it's easy to get sucked in. Yeah, because people click on it. If this was decoding the unknown, a story where we just are like, and then the curse killed them all, this channel would be a lot more popular. I bet it. I absolutely bet it. If I was just embracing all this shit but obviously i can't because i believe it's complete nonsense and as i've said before when that channel launches you'll know that i need some money <laughs>
Don't blame me for lazy research, though. I'm going against decades of reporting here. Apparently, when Carter found the tomb, the Times got exclusive rights to report out the report on the entire dig and findings. What a scoop! Obviously, this was a story with global interest, so other papers and news outlets had to get involved somehow. To get around it, what they did was write stuff that was more speculative and sensational, i.e., not necessarily true, to get people to read their stories. The curse was great fodder here, as you could basically write whatever you want and add in as many victims as you like. These exaggerated versions have been passed down and repeated through the years, making it difficult to work out if anything's actually true, but spoiler alert, there's lots of debunking ahead. Yeah, it's just newspapers in the past. Ah, we don't really have anything good for this story. We'll just make some shit up. You'll <laughs> be like, oh no. Like, <laughs> I, make, I, I do a channel called War of Graphics. Ah, oh, there's no wars going on? Like, there is. There is now. So it's like, there's stuff to talk about on the channel. I also talk about historic wars. But it's like, it'd just be like, ah, oh, let's make one up. There's probably something going on in like some countries in Africa. We'll just make up a war. Done. Easy. And then people in the future will get very confused. I'd probably also get banned from YouTube, right? You can't just make shit up. It's like misinformation. And that's always like, this is all fictional. This is a made-up war. These are made-up countries with made-up people. But then people wouldn't be interested because when you, as we've mentioned before, when you present fiction as fact, it's much more saleable. Even if it's a bit shit. Lord Carnarvon did die a bit of an unlucky death, but he wasn't really someone who was in the best of health anyway. He got a big mosquito bite on his cheek, which he managed to nick with a razor while shaving. This led to an infection, blood poisoning, and pneumonia. That's so crazy. <laughs> That's how you died in the past. Jesus Christ. While he was only 56, he had had lung infections many times before and was basically one bout of bronchitis away from death at any moment. The dog dying and the lights in Cairo going out are apocryphal, or if there was a power cut in Cairo, it was just a coincidence. He also died in 1923, some five months after having entered the tomb. This is long enough that any micromolds in the air don't seem to have affected him, which kind of kills off any theory that it was just a sitting duck for this kind of thing. But what with those bad lungs of his? As for his half-brothers, Aubrey was also in poor health and died due to having all of his teeth removed and getting a horrible infection. A bad way to go, certainly, but I don't think it can be linked to the curse. More just bad medical advice or perhaps execution. <laughs> he died in 1923 at the age of 43. The other half-brother of Mervyn died of a form of pneumonia, like several other victims, but again, this was coincidental. He had been to Albania, where he contracted it, not to Tankerman's tomb, and died in Rome in 1929 at the age of 46. <laughs> These past diseases. Oh my god. What did he have? Pneumonia. That's... They treat that in hospitals, right? Is that fluid in the lungs from infection? Antibiotics. Boom. Although, I kind of think about this, and I don't think I've ever had, like, an infection that would have killed me. I took antibiotics once. I mean, other than, like, when you've had a surgery, which is probably, like, would have killed me. But, like, when you have a surgery, right, and they stitch you up and they give you antibiotics just in case, right? You go on antibiotics for a while after you've had surgery. Um, I've only, I think I've only ever been prescribed them once when I had a... Uh, my nail got really infected but it was just painful i'm pretty sure that it would have gone away on its own i just wanted it to go away faster so i don't think antibiotics other than outside of surgery of surgeries i wouldn't have had because they were like not elective but like i had teeth removed and then i had my bone fixed which i broke but because you can have surgery now but if they they wouldn't have cut me open they'd have just put like a splint on it or whatever so yeah, I mean, antibiotics are awesome, but I don't think I'd have died without them yet in my life. Richard Bethel was our next listed victim. He was Carter's personal secretary and Carnarvon's friend, and also possibly his secretary too. I keep seeing different things. Anyway, he was murdered on his return to London. 
Or was he? I've seen more than one explanation of his death. He was found dead at the age of 46 in Mayfair's bath club, but I've seen that he ate poison and also was probably smothered. His official cause of death was given as coronary thrombosis. This was in October. This was in November 1929. A this was in November 1929, a significant few years after he entered the tomb, but the New York Times still ran a piece headlines, Tutankhamun Curse Recalled by Death, Richard Bethel, one of Howard Carter's secretary, latest of ten excavators to die. A few days later, his father dying shortly afterward by leaping out of the window is obviously extremely sad, but apparently he had had a long illness and was probably affected by the death of his son, he was 77. Arthur Cruttenden, Mace, and George Ge and George J. Gould both entered the tomb and died of pneumonia shortly afterwards. They could be bona fide victims of the microscopic death mold. However, Mace didn't die for four years after leaving Egypt. Gould did succumb shortly afterwards, so maybe he did pick up something in the tomb and was one of the few actual victims. Hugh Evelyn White killed himself apparently in fear of becoming the next victim of the curse and wrote a note in his own blood, but. Or was this really why? He did die by suicide, but this can be linked to things other than a mummy's curse. He worked in Egypt until 1922, when the tomb was opened, but then returned to work as a lecturer in England, and he didn't die until two years later, in 1924, at the age of 40. It's just a coincidence, and I'm betting that thing that he wrote in his own blood isn't even real. Maybe he got caught up in the media storm surrounding the deaths of several people he'd known about and worked with in the Valley of the Kings, but other sources have suggested that it was death of a close friend that sent him spiraling. I saw in most places online that Evelyn White had hung himself but then found an old newspaper article which said he shot himself in a taxi on the way to an inquest. I investigated further and found a completely different story to what normally pops up when you Google his name. Yeah, this is crazy. Like, there's... Um, this is a problem with the internet, right? Because one person will write something, someone else will pick it up inside that person and then it just gets into a crazy loop and then it turns out that the past was completely different and no one's really sure <laughs> it's not even that long ago it's a hundred years ago sure but it's not like thousands or hundreds of years ago the headline is curse of egypt on shop professor mistress who died by poison love romance with music apparently a young music teacher called helen nine was infatuated which is a nice saying probably stalkerishly obsessed with hugh evelyn white but he didn't return her feelings so she poisoned herself and died she had left notes stating her feelings for evelyn white and he was summoned to her inquest but killed himself on the way he might have actually been a believer in the curse as a letter written by him not in blood i might add apparently did say i knew there was a curse on me though i had to leave to take those manuscripts to cairo the monks told me the curse would work all the same now it has done so <laughs> all right mate no you just killed yourself oh so he might have been feeling really guilty about transporting potentially stolen manuscripts maybe his brother also disputed that the letter was even in his handwriting so maybe this is just another made-up facet of the story there was another letter he wrote that seems more believable basically despairing of the situation with helen nines and how it had ended and stating that he hadn't done anything wrong really the conclusion we could reach is that this was just a horrible situation gone wrong and it had nothing to do with any curses yes completely agree sir archibald douglas reed x-rayed tut and died three days later coincidence uh, well to be honest while he was a radiologist and x-ray pioneer i can't find any evidence that reed did x-rays on the king at all this was supposed to have happened in 1924 however the lid of the sarcophagus was not raised until february of 1924 never mind any other research being done on the coffins or the mummy of tut himself reed had already died in january 1924 so could not possibly have done any x-rays either in situ or elsewhere according to the british 
British medical journal he had a serious illness three years before his death, and he had been troubled for some years by radiodermatitis and increasing disability. He died in Switzerland following a medical procedure, so unless the curse was killing him in advance, he appears to have no ties whatsoever to the project. Wow, I feel like we've actually done some proper decoding of these. So who's next? Oh yes, the various coincidental things like that guy's house burning down and flooding and Dr. Ember dying when he went back for the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Well, Dr. Ember really did die like that. That was a totally true story. But he hadn't been part of Carter's team. He was just friends with Carnivan. He was an Egyptologist, which is why he's been connected to the curse, but this is one of those grabbing-at-straws type things. He died while writing a book about Egyptian death rituals, but at the most this is lightly ironic, ironic not caused by a curse. Sir Brucingham was the recipient of the cursed mummy hands and had bad luck before his home when it burned and then flooded, but I think I've used up all my powers of investigation now as this story has been repeated so often that it's difficult to find any real corroboration or contradictions. Ingham didn't die, so this is just another fun throwaway bit that's been added on. The remaining incidents on our list was that of James Henry Breasted's canary that was eaten by a cobra. Was it? Wasn't it? I've also seen it was Howard Carter's canary. This is just one of those, it's just made up. Someone made this up at some point. Or like there was something with a canary and then it just spirals out of control. It's crazy. Let's assume that someone's canary was eaten by a snake. I think the correct response is probably Big Whoop. It only took on any meaning at all because of the symbolic link of the cobra with Egyptian royalty and deities. If it had happened before they found the tomb, no significance would have been attached. And here's probably the biggest sticking point on this whole curse idea. I know exactly what's me. Howard Carter is alive still. The main dude escaped the curse. Yeah, Howard Carter was not affected. Bingo. He was the one looking for, finding, breaking into, and excavating the tomb. He was the first one in and also handled Tut's remains. Surely he would have been the first victim if such a curse really existed. Even if the mold dust theory is true, Carter spent a lot of time in that tomb and didn't seem to suffer any ill effects. He did end up dying of Hodgkin's lymphoma, but it wasn't until 1939 at the age of 64, 17 years after the discovery of the tomb. That's a slow-acting curse. Yeah. It's like he died of natural causes nearly two decades later. You may also remember that Lord Carnarvon's daughter was with him when Carter initially found the entrance to the hidden tomb. Lady Evelyn Herbert might even have been the first person to set foot in the burial chamber in thousands of years, as after Carter had made a peephole into the chamber, he, Evelyn, and Carnarvon are rumored to have gone back on the down low and had a private poke around. Evelyn was the smallest, so she went in through a hole first. Maybe the curse doesn't work on women or something, as she lived to the age of 78, not dying until 1980, although she was in a serious car accident in 1935 and then suffered several strokes later in life, so maybe she didn't get away totally scot-free. Or, like anyone else's life, being in a car accident, having some strokes, and dying, not super uncommon. When you look at things in detail, it's pretty clear there was no curse. I can't even get a fixed number on how many people in the original dig party supposedly died, seeing numbers ranging from 8 to 12 in a time frame of soon after to within 12 years. <laughs> to, up to 1980. An epidemiologist called Mark R. Nelson spent a lot more time than I have, and in a report published in the British Medical Journal in 2002, basically concluded that the number of deaths in Carter's group, not counting native Egyptians who were apparently unaffected over the years following the opening of the tomb was not any more than you would expect. <laughs> I like that the British medical journal is, is the BMJ. I remember this used to come to my to, to, to my house as a kid. <laughs> my dad would read it. And it's like a serious medical journal. And it's nice that they have these stories. <laughs> it's like analyzing Howard Carter's tomb. Not Howard Carter's tomb. The, the, the disguise. You know what I'm talking about. To get specific, quote, 
Adjustment for age and sex, any exposure or the number of times exposed did not confer additional risk for early within 10 years death. Odds ratios 1.38, 95% confidence interval 0.2 to 9.6. There was also no effect on survival time for any exposure or number of exposures. So basically, nothing supernatural was going on. For those 8 to 12 people who might have died, there was a far larger number who didn't die. Again, I had trouble tacking down the exact number, but Carter's crew numbered either 25 or 44, depending on whether you count those who were just there or the smaller number who actually entered the tomb. Either way, the majority of people were not affected. Also, although I started this episode off with the curse that was written on a tablet hidden in Tut's tomb, sorry, but that was a bit of a porky pie. It's yet another false flag that's been attached to this story. They never found any curse like it at all. In fact, the curses mentioned at the start weren't really curses per se, they were just more warnings not to be a dick and disturb the burial sites. <laughs> Howard Carter is a dick. A curse addendum. I just remembered that I mentioned Zahi Hawass about a hundred years ago. He's the Egyptian Egyptologist who was also the Minister of State for Antiquity Affairs twice. He's done his fair share of excavating and discovering, and while he doesn't believe in curses, a strange thing did happen to him after one of his digs. In his book The Valley of the Golden Mummies, Hawass states, At the beginning of my career, during my first year excavating at Qom Abu Belo in the Nile Delta, I had to remove a truckload of gold objects and other artifacts from a Greco-Roman cemetery and transport them to the Egyptian Museum in Cairo. That same day, my cousin died. Two years later, on the anniversary of that day, my uncle died. On the same day of the third year, my aunt died. Spooky, but he didn't attribute it to a curse or anything, he just thought it was a weird coincidence. If I was related to him, I'd definitely be getting worried when that day rolled around each year. I wouldn't, because I'm so skeptical, I'd be like, please. He later was on a dig where an actual curse was found on a tomb entrance. Oh, all people who enter this tomb, who will make evil against this tomb and destroy it, may the hippopotamus be against them on water, the scorpion against them on land. The mummies of two children and an adult female were discovered and removed from the tomb to be taken to a museum. That same night, Hawass began to be haunted by these children, having nightmares where they would reach out and try and grab his throat. He would also see the adult female pleading with him, but he didn't know what that was about. This went on for quite a while, causing him to be distressed and panicked all the time until he finally realized what the mummies had been telling him. He flew back to Egypt and arranged for a male mummy that was still in the tomb, their father to be reunited with them in a museum, and he was never haunted by the mummies again make of his stories what you will. As I said, Hawass has stated he doesn't believe in curses, so to me, these are weirder than the King Tut stuff for sure. Yeah, none of it's weird. I'm like, okay. So maybe it's all in his head. Either way. Wrapping up the mummy's curse. Ah. <laughs> Debunk's enough for you? Well, sorry to spoil the fun, as usual. Nah, I'm not sorry. I like spoiling the fun. Decoding the Unknown is literally the channel where we spoil people's fun. <laughs> but I think we can see that the curse of King Tut never actually existed. Of course, we have no numbers for any ancient-time grave robbers who may have fallen foul of it, but in the modern era at least, we might possibly be able to pin one death on the tomb itself, potentially that of George J. Gould, the railroad exec. He died so shortly after having visited the tomb, although whether he picked up the bug that did it for him or in the tomb itself or elsewhere can't be verified. If one grave robber or archaeologist had a bad experience or died shortly after visiting the mummy's tomb, it's easy to see how a whisper about curses could start and then catch hold, linking any type of future bad luck events together. The media sure were in on it, writing headlines mentioning the curse anytime anyone linked with the original Discovery Party died, never mind how long ago it was or what circumstances it was under. It'd be like, yeah, Howard Carter's great-grandson has died at the age of 70. And they'll be like, oh, it's that curse again. Gotta sell those papers. 
Plus, who doesn't love a spooky story? As I found out myself researching this, it's easy to find multiple repeats of the same old tosh when in reality some of the supposed victims of the curse were totally tangential and had absolutely no link to Carter or Tutankhamun or Egypt at all. Carter called the idea of a curse Tommy Rot, which seems to be a good final word on it as he was at the center of the whole thing. And what's next for good old young King Tut? He is supposed to be going on display at the new Grand Egyptian Museum, but as of writing, this monster project doesn't have an official opening date, although it looks to be gearing up to finally open in 2023. That's this year! Maybe the curse of a King's Tut is what's behind its continued delay! Yeah, but probably not. Thanks for watching or listening. Appreciate it. See you next time.